We're turning now to the second half of our Bibles, the New Testament, and turning in the Church Bible, if you've been given a copy of it as you've come in this morning, we're turning to page 1093, page 1093, and if you're using your own Bible, it's Acts chapter 1. Uh, page 1093, Acts chapter 1, and we want to read from this um, uh, chapter 1, and then we want to move into the next uh, major division, which is called chapter 2, and then uh, finally through to chapter 6 to read some verses there. Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. This was written by Luke, who was a doctor, and he's writing to a man who's a friend of his, Theophilus. And he says, in my former book, that's the Gospel of Luke, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to those men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of forty days, and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men, dressed in white, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Then into the next chapter, uh, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit that Jesus had spoken about and promised now comes. And then at verse 22, uh, Peter, one of the disciples, uh, stands up. Uh, and begins to speak. Acts 2 verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then we move through to verse uh, 36, where after uh, preaching uh, how they had put Jesus to death, and they were guilty of that, uh, then uh, we read verse 36. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. 
God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And then we turn through to Acts chapter 6 and we read the first short section. Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. We're still reading about the Jerusalem church here. In those days when the number of disciples, as the number of Christians and church members was increasing, the Grecian Jews, among them, complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve disciples gathered all the believers together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Amen. For many, if not all of us, the holidays are over. The children are either going back to school tomorrow or this week, or some are back to school already. And as adults, we're back uh, to work. And as a church, we begin another year of ministry, uh, both within the church and within the community in which we are located. On Wednesday evening last, the elders set out the church programme for the next ten months, as showing and identifying the different things that will be part of our life together and part of our reaching out into the community. At this time of year, churches sometimes ask, what will we do that will enthuse our members for the meetings of the church? What will we do that will attract new people to come to church? And that's a question that the scriptures, I believe, answer not explicitly, but implicitly. The early chapters of Acts that we read from this morning give us a snapshot of the Jerusalem church. There used to be a program on television that was called Through the Keyhole. And you were taken into somebody's house and you weren't told whose house it was and you saw all that was in the house and then you had to try and identify 
uh, who the house belonged to. Well, here we're taken through the keyhole of the church. And we find members that are enthusiastic about our life. And they are committed to gathering together. They're active in reaching out to the community around them. We read here of a church that is hugely fruitful in her labours. A church that sees thousands of people converted, sometimes in a single day, through a single sermon, and added then to the church membership. What was the secret to her enthusiasm, to the commitment of this church in Jerusalem? What was the secret to her usefulness? And I believe the answer lies in the priority that the church at Jerusalem and indeed the church throughout the New Testament gave to prayer and the word of God. Let's see it here in the opening chapters of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, in the 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus and before the coming of the Holy Spirit, the apostles, that's the 12 men that Jesus had trained, the 12 men who would carry on the ministry in his name, they gather in the upper room in Jerusalem. That's where they had the Lord's Supper with the Lord Jesus, or most likely to have been that place. And they gather there, not on their own, they gather there with the wider church. And in those days, leading up to Pentecost, here's what we're told, especially in the days after Jesus' ascension. Verse 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer. They all joined together constantly in prayer. Now in the wider context, it is clear that there was also a focus on the word. Because Jesus for the 40 days after his resurrection and before his return to heaven... He had spent the time teaching them and explaining his word and purpose for them. What about Acts chapter 2? Well, here when we come to Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out as has been promised and as the apostles have been praying for. And then against that backdrop, Peter preaches a sermon. A sermon that focuses on the Christ. Showing how Jesus is the Messiah, the one who saves sinners. And at the end of that sermon, 3,000 people are saved. They repent of their sin. They believe that Jesus is the one who saves from sin. And they're converted. And what do they do immediately afterwards? Acts 2, verse 42. Those converted devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the prayers. Acts chapter 3 begins with Peter and John going up to the building of the Old Testament church, the temple. And why were they going there? They were going there for a mid-afternoon prayer meeting. And as they go there, they find a man lying at the gate who's lame. And in the name of Jesus, they heal this man. And then the crowd is so amazed at this that they want to know how this has happened. And Peter preaches again to the crowd, preaching to Christ saying this miracle has been done in his name and by his power. So again, we find 
preaching and prayer going together. Acts chapter 4 begins with Peter and John preaching. And they are in the temple again, this building. And if you go to the end of the chapter, we find the church united in prayer because her leaders are being opposed by the religious authorities. And they're putting them in prison. And they're trying to silence them from speaking the gospel. And the church unites together to pray for great boldness to our apostles, for our apostles and our members to make Christ known. And then we come to Acts chapter 6. And the church has grown so much that there are many needy widows to care for. And the apostles, that's the leaders, the twelve leaders that Jesus had appointed, they're under pressure. Their time, their energy is being taken up by the care of these widows. And the apostles know that they cannot neglect the care of the widows because that is an important mark of Christians to care for needy around them. But equally the apostles cannot neglect their ministry for which Jesus had trained them and taught them and given to them. And so during a church meeting, what do they say? Verse 4 of Acts chapter 6. We will continue steadfastly in prayer and the ministry of the word. And so there is this recurring focus. In Acts chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 6. This recurring focus by the church on prayer and the word. The word of God. And so this morning we are going to develop this theme under the heading giving ourselves to prayer and the word. And you'll see the main points of the sermon on the rear side of the order of service. Giving ourselves continually to prayer and the word. And as we begin another year of worship on the Lord's Day and midweek meetings for Bible study on the Wednesday evening in prayer and as we engage in witness, what is it that you and I need to do? What is it that I as your minister need to do? What is it that you as believers and church members need to do? What is one, the one thing above all others that is to mark our lives privately and also corporately? It is this, giving ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. That is the foundation on which our church program rests. That's the axis on which it turns. At the heart of everything that we do is prayer and the ministry of the word. Now there are three things that I want us to, to note this morning about giving ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. First of all, this is a scriptural priority. This is a scriptural priority. The apostles are not making some new discovery here. They saw the, this priority in the ministry of Jesus. I've alluded already to Mark chapter 1 verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Then a few verses later, his disciples, these twelve men that we're talking about, uh, minus Judas, obviously, now. Uh, these, the twelve men come and they catch up with him, and when they find him, what does Jesus say? Let us go to the nearby villages so that I can preach prayer 
and the word. That's what they saw in Jesus. And that's what Jesus trained them in. That's why he taught them the Lord's Prayer. That they would know how to pray. That's why then he sent them out on missionary journeys that they would know how to preach the word. So, this is something that doesn't begin with the apostles. But it also doesn't begin with Jesus. This is not something new that Jesus establishes. That now from this point on, from the point of his coming, the church is to be focused on prayer and the word. No, this is something that goes back into the church in the Old Testament. The church in the Old Testament had prayer and the word as her priority too. Before the summer, and we'll be returning to this next week, we've been studying the life of Abraham. And it was out of Abraham's family that the Old Testament church grew. And what's the thing that we've seen about Abraham again and again in our studies in Genesis? Well, he was building altars. And those altars were to call upon the name of the Lord in prayer. And then the Lord was appearing to him. And the Lord was speaking to him. His life was, as it were, bracketed by prayer and the word. 430 years after Abraham. We come to Moses, the leader of the church at that time, at a time when she was experiencing explosive growth. And Moses, again, like these apostles now in Acts, was finding it hard to keep up with all the things uh, that he had to do. And what did his father-in-law Jethro say to him? He took him aside, and here's what he said to him, Exodus 18 Verses 19 and 20. And it's the equivalent of Acts 6 verse 4. Stand before God for the people. So that you may bring their difficulties to God. Pray, Moses. Pray for the people. It doesn't stop there. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws. You shall teach them the word And show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. So right back to Abraham, the founding father, if you want to put it like that, of the Old Testament church. Through Moses and on down through the godly leaders like Samuel uh, and Elijah and Nehemiah and Daniel and Jeremiah. Right through to John before the coming of Jesus, what did they do? They had this priority. Prayer and the ministry of the word. I want us to see that giving ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word is a scriptural priority. Today, There is in the Christian church, I would suggest to you, a crisis in prayer and a crisis in the ministry of the word. And that's why the church is trying to do all kinds of novel things to bring people in and to hold people because she's lost her confidence And her commitment to prayer and the word. The George Barner Organization in the United States of America. Carries out surveys among Christians and churches. For what they are worth. But they obviously are saying something. And here's what he found in America. The average professing Christian spends one minute in prayer each day. One minute in prayer. And the average pastor spends five minutes in prayer every day. 
Is that giving ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word? Is that following the example of the apostles? Is that following the example of Jesus? Is that following in the footsteps of Moses and Abraham? Is that not the reason why the church today is so weak and so despised and so ineffective that rightly most people in our community just dismiss the church because she's not marked by prayer and the word. And there is also a crisis in preaching. Many churches today, sermons are considered to be dull, they're heavy, they're too long. Preaching, well that's an out of date, date way of communicating. We're in the age of computers, the age of PowerPoint, the age of data projectors. And today in many churches the priority that was given to preaching 20 years ago has been given now to entertaining to singing and music and sharing and these are the things we're told that will make worshippers feel good. And what preaching remains is often light and entertaining and short and directed to meeting the felt needs of worshippers. Yet that is not what we see in the book of Acts either with regard to prayer or preaching. Look at the early chapters of Acts, the preaching by the apostles, it was doctrinal. It had substance to it. It was laced with quotes from the Old Testament scriptures. It focused on the great internal need that was common to all the worshippers, the need to be right with God, the need to have sins forgiven, through Christ, the need to live in a way that pleases Christ. And they did that using the word and prayer. And the apostles didn't pamper people when they came into church. They confronted people with their sin and they urged people to flee from coming judgment and they summoned people to repent and to believe. And then they said, being right with God, you have peace and assurance and hope. Giving ourselves to prayer and the word is a scriptural priority. I want us to note the verb that is used here. Four times in these opening chapters in Acts. Acts 1 verse 14. Acts 2 verse 42. Acts 2 verse 46. And Acts 6 verse 4, it's the same verb. And sometimes translated as join together, devote themselves, or give attention to. It's a very, very strong verb. If you'd have been part of an army in that day, and you were sent out to besiege a city, or to defeat a nation, what did you do? You devoted yourself to the task. You didn't come home until you'd done the task. And so it describes, this verb describes people that are focused on, people that are dedicated to a cause. During the Second World War, people used to smile wryly and say, do you not know there is a war on? And by that they were inviting people to make sacrifices and to go to extraordinary lengths and to recognize that no hardship was too great and no effort was too much to win the war. That's the verb that lies behind us. And to give ourselves to prayer and the word requires Effort. Effort. It requires effort on the Sabbath morning when we come together. That we listen. That we're well rested. We're alert. It requires effort during the week 
not reading a few verses and mumbling a few words before we drop into bed exhausted. This devoting ourselves to prayer means will mean making sacrifices. It will mean switching off the television. It may mean for some of us getting up earlier in the morning because that's the best time, the best available time. It will mean with regard to church, not, re- not attending now and again, but attending consistently and every Lord's Day. It will mean arranging our diary to be at the midweek, not making excuses. Giving ourselves to prayer and the word as we begin a new year of ministry. This is a scriptural priority. But then secondly, let's see how it's a shared priority. A shared priority. The verb that we have here in Acts 1. Devoted themselves. This strong verb. We want to ask the question now. Who precisely devoted themselves? Who was it in the church that made prayer and the word a priority in their lives? Turn first of all to Acts 2.42. And we read there, they devoted themselves. And in the context, the they refers to the church members. But surprisingly, to us perhaps, it refers to the most recent church members. It refers particularly to the 3,000 new converts. Immediately after their conversion, what do these men and women saved in Christ do? They devote themselves to prayer and the word. They know that is how to maintain their spiritual life. They don't leave it to the mature members. The original founding 120 members that we read of in Acts chapter 1. They don't say that's not for us yet. We need to get a few months or a few years under our belts as Christians before we think of devoting ourselves to prayer and the word. How do we know that a person is saved? How do we know that? Well, one of the signs, not the only, but one of the signs is that that person has a hunger To know Christ more and more. That's the most fundamental sign. They have a hunger to learn of his person. A hunger to experience his love. A hunger to discover his will. A hunger to live for his glory. And how is that hunger satisfied? Well it's satisfied in prayer. And in the word. Saul of Tarsus. That great persecutor of the church. Who became Paul the apostle. What are we told about him after his conversion? After he was saved um, on the road to Damascus. Acts 9 verse 11. Behold he prays. Acts 9 verse 19. Saul spent some days with the disciples in Damascus. Prayer and the word. That's the mark of the new Christian. That's the mark of the growing Christian. Devoting themselves to prayer and the word. Now in Acts chapter 4, sorry, Acts chapter 6 verse 4, We have the verb again, and the pronoun now is we. We. So who's it referring to this time? Well, it's referring to the apostles. We, the apostles, we, the church leaders, will give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. In other words, these men will guard carefully their responsibility as leaders to pray 
and to preach. Yes, caring for the widows is important in the church. Yes, organizing the program is important in the church. Yes, having a comfortable building is important in the church. But what is accomplished if the apostles provide for the widows in their material need so that the widows have clothes and food and a place to live but the widows and the rest of the church are without ministry to their souls. What if the believers of this church in Jerusalem are not being prayed for day by day? What if the believers in this church are not being taught the word? What will it profit believers then? What will it profit believers now if we have bodies that are well cared for, but souls that are famished and hungry and dying spiritually for food and drink? What is it that I am called by Christ as your pastor to do on your behalf? What are the ruling elders that you chose a year ago and we ordained and installed to office? Ronnie, Jonathan and Johnny. What are they to do to ensure your spiritual health and well-being as members? Well, I've no doubt we could draw up a list of 20 different things that we should be doing. But at the top of that list must stand prayer. And the ministry of the word. Prayer and the ministry of the word. Notice the apostles don't talk in terms of prayer or preaching. They don't set one against the other. They hold both together in their lives and ministries. And in fact, they place prayer before the ministry of the word. Preaching is vital. But prayer is equally vital for elders and ministers. Why? Because the ministry of the word is without power and without fruit. If it is not preceded by prayer and followed with prayer. A shared priority. Priority for members. A priority for the leaders. Let's go now to Acts 1 verse 14. And the pronoun there is these. That's the word that goes with the verb here. These all continued in prayer. And again, the context is the apostles, the leaders. But notice now, not on their own. The apostles are not giving themselves to prayer and the word on their own. Read on in the verse, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Here we have apostles and believers Leaders and members of the New Testament church, notice male and female. The females are not told to stay away. The females are not told to be quiet. They're uniting together in prayer. Prayer is a shared priority. Elders and members committing themselves to it jointly. Preaching is equally a shared priority. Ministers called and set apart to labour in the word, we must give ourselves to prayerful preparation for preaching. The elders will do likewise if they're leading the midweek or if they're going into your home in a pastoral visit. We dare not go into the pulpit or into your homes 
or into the midweek thinking that the Spirit will give us a message as we stand before the people. And so, it's a priority for, we who are, for us who are in leadership. But equally, members are not to come to preaching thinking that the minister gets the message on his own. It's a very, very poor ministry if the minister is left to prepare and to pray and to do it on his own. You're to come prayerfully and expectantly to preaching. A lady once told her minister, I spend half the week praying the message into you. And I spend the other half of the week praying the message out of you. Brothers and sisters, do you pray the message into me? Do you pray the message out of me? This is a shared priority. Do you give yourself to prayer for the preaching as much as you do to the preaching itself? And I thank God that you are a good congregation, an easy congregation to preach to. But do you give yourself to prayer in the way that you give yourself to the preaching? On the Sabbath day, by the time you go home in the evening, you'll have had 50, 60 minutes of preaching. Have there been 50, 60 minutes of prayer throughout the previous week? the previous six days for the preaching, I urge you, Brian, to give yourself to prayer for the ministry of the Word. This is a scriptural priority. This is a shared priority. And this is, thirdly, a strategic priority. A strategic priority. What do I mean by that? Well, when we say that something is strategic, we mean it's vital, essential, critical. And giving ourselves to prayer and the word, the scriptural shared priority is vital. Vital, critical, essential on two grounds. First of all, very simply, and obviously, for your own well-being. And then secondly, for the well-being of others. Let's take a moment or two just to to flesh those out. Prayer and the word are strategic to your own well-being. Christ has planted spiritual life in you. That's what most of you here this morning profess and claim. That spiritual life needs to grow. It needs to become strong. It needs to become established in you to the point that it takes over. And it controls everything that you are and everything that you do. How will your new life in Christ grow to that extent? How will it be rooted, nourished, developed, sustained and matured? Well, think of what we were saying to the boys and girls in the children's address. They received their lives from their mother. As you and I did. But they grow to become a child and a teenager and an adult through food and water. And to deepen and maintain spiritual life, God has given us the word and prayer. Here's what the old preacher Matthew Henry writes. 
What are the two great gospel ordinances or tools or weapons? The answers: the word and prayer. By these two, communion between God and his people is kept up and maintained. By these two, the word and prayer, communion between Christ and his people is kept up and maintained. By the word he speaks to them, and by prayer they speak to him. And for your life to flourish, you need to give yourself continually to these gospel ordinances, prayer and the word. Let's ask ourselves, are there ways in which we could be doing that better and fuller? In our personal lives, our families, and in our church. You're also, sorry, you're privileged to be able to do that. We're privileged to be able to do that as part of the church. But also as individual believers. And let's make sure that privately we do not neglect this either. How tragic it is when we have time to text, time to tweet, time to surf the net, time to watch television, time to pursue hobbies, time to meet friends, but not enough hours in the day to listen to Jesus our Saviour and to speak to Jesus our Saviour. This is strategic to your own well-being. The Christian who neglects prayer and the word will be weak and will stumble from one crisis to another and stumble through life uh, and always find uh, that they're up against it. Now as those who feed in the word and prayer, we will still have many struggles but we will have strength and resources in prayer and the word. But then in the word, prayer and the word are strategic to the well-being, not only of yourself, but of others. Do you want Christ to plant spiritual life in others? In your children? Other members of your family who are not yet Christians? Do you want them to plant spiritual life in your neighbours? Do you want them to plant new life in people from the community? For that to happen, we need to give ourselves continually to prayer and the word. Praying for the salvation of others. Doing that on our own. Doing that as part of the church. Doing that consistently. Doing it with passion. Continually. Bringing them to Christ in prayer. And bringing Christ to them in his word. Here's Matthew Henry again. By these two the kingdom of Christ must be advanced. Prayer in the word. And additions made to it. If we don't give ourselves to prayer, the ministry of the word. How are the lost going to be saved? How are the spiritually dead going to be made alive? How is the kingdom to be extended? How is the church to be built? Notice what happened in Acts chapter 6. When the apostles said we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the word. Look at verse 7. The word of God spread. The number of disciples increased rapidly. The large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Do we want to see that happen in Caracas? It can happen only as we give ourselves 
to prayer and the Word. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, then I say to you, get a Bible. Read it. And devour it. Look for Jesus in it. Listen to Jesus speak to you through it. Respond to Jesus speaking to you through it with prayer. Taking into your heart and your mind the things that you read. Because it is by prayer and the word that people are saved also. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you that you are the God of means, the God of provision. We thank you that you have provided salvation in your own beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that as we believe in him and turn from our sin, we are given a righteousness that is his, and our sin is taken away from us. We thank you that this is new life, that we have spiritual life eternal life so that we begin to know you and to love you and to serve you to have peace and joy with you thank you for all of this provision but this is but the beginning it is a new life a new life needs to be nurtured it needs to be fed we thank you for the provision that you've made for that Thank you for your word that brings us continually to Christ and builds us up in our faith in him as he speaks to us through it. And we thank you for prayer where we speak to him and bring our needs to him, bring our praise and our worship to him, confess our sins to him. Lord, help us in this year which lies ahead to give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word so that we will grow and mature in Christ who already believe in him and so that others will come to faith in Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen.